Um, sorry if I get a little uh, emotional about this, but, uh, you know, Jackie and everybody, you know, there was a time in my life when, man, I was I was doing a lot of things that I shouldn't have been doing. And uh, I was just struggling with drinking and drugs and, you know, just trying to be that guy and just trying to be cool. And, you know, my mom, I, I remember one time I told my mom, I said, Mom, why do you even pray for me? I said, I don't want you to pray for me. And, you know, my mom just kept praying. And I remember, you know, one thing that really touched me is I remember one time my mom called my grandpa. And my mom, and they just didn't know what to do with me. And uh, my grandpa rode around on the cat, on the lawnmower and just pleaded with the devil to not take, not take me. And the devil wanted me so bad. And he still wants me every day, but I just trust in the Lord and I just pray that, just, you know, those people wouldn't have prayed for me. I just don't know where I would be right now. I mean, the Lord has just done so much. And just don't ever give up hope for these people because there's always hope. And just thank everybody for the prayers. And, boy, it's a struggle between good and evil out there. And it's hard, especially when you're a teen going in to the world and the things. And I'm telling you, it's not worth it. It's not worth the things that I've seen. And I'm very ashamed of some of the things that I've done. But people just never gave up hope praying for me. And I just appreciate everything that everyone has done. Amen. I want to continue to speak upon the topic of knowing Jesus. And uh, that knowing Jesus, to know Jesus and to make him known, basically is becoming our purpose statement that helps us fulfill our mission statement. And our mission statement says that we're to be heavenly effective through earthly relevance. And we really can't be heavenly effective through earthly relevance until we know Jesus. And so our purpose is to know Jesus and to make him known. And right now we've been on a, a series of, of topics and what does it mean to really know Jesus? And today I want to continue to that in that same vein of, of teaching. And today we're going to talk about truth. To know Jesus really means being devoted to truth. Truth is, is a key, if not the key, to knowing Jesus and becoming like him in our spiritual life. We will never understand and, and be able to contain God. But he's given us the ability to understand his truth. His truth is something that comes down to our level that we can understand and we can grasp it. And so I want to, spoke, I want to speak today about devotion and I want to speak about truth and how important that we put those two words together, that we're devoted to truth as a way or as a key fundamental way to get to know Jesus. See, one can be devoted to many things that don't lead to Jesus. Devotion is not necessarily the most important thing. I can be devoted to many wrong doctrines. I can be de devoted to a false doctrine, and that still that false doctrine will not lead me to Christ. I have to make sure that if I'm devoted, I have to be sure I'm devoted to the right thing. It's, it's like going down the wrong path to get to a certain destination. If you were going to go to Traverse City, and maybe you've already heard this illustration before, but if you're going to go to Traverse City, you get on US 31 and you head south. You don't get on Highway 66 to head south. Even though you're heading south on Highway 66, 
You can be very devoted to driving your car. You can be very devoted to getting in your car and say, I'm going to drive my car until I get to Traverse City. And if, as long as I'm on Highway 66, I'm never going to end up in Traverse City. I need to be on Highway 31 if I'm going to get to Traverse City. So devotion is not necessarily the key. You have to combine devotion with truth and then be devoted to truth, and that will get you to Traverse City. If you're on Highway 31, and as long as you're devoted to driving 50-some miles or whatever, that 45 miles, whatever it is, you'll get to Traverse City. But not if you're going down Highway 66. All right? So that, that's a very simple analogy, but yet it's very true that, that being devoted to Jesus is key if we're going to get to know Jesus, not just devoted to a religion. We're not going to get devoted to whatever you want to make up your religion to be because if it's not based on truth, you're going to find yourself maybe starting off pretty close at the beginning, but the further you drive down that wrong road, you, the, the further, the wider that why becomes and the further, further, further you get away from the truth of God's word. So it's a pretty obvious answer that if you're going to get to Jesus, you need to be devoted to the truth of Jesus. Now let me ask you this question. Are there levels of truth? Is there such thing as absolute truth or is truth relative to the situation that one finds himself in? In our society today, in fact, we talked a little bit about it in Sunday school, and that is that we are so a part of or so a product of our society. We watch on TV all the different things that would come against us on a television show or to, uh, regarding um, our lifestyle choices, and you name it. You know, how you respect your parents and, and what is a marriage today? What makes up a family today? Is it, a, is it a, a union between a man and a wife or can it be a union between two of the same? You know, um, and there's so many in, 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 in sex and premarital sex and teenagers and all this stuff. There's so many areas that if we were to look at relative truth, there would be really many truths. Because it would be all relative to our particular situation or our particular mindset that would say, oh, yeah, that's truth, and I'm going to believe that truth. Well, that's not the absolute truth of God's Word. And if we are going to find ourselves really getting to know Jesus, we have to make sure that we are focusing on the absolute truth of God's Word and not a variation of it. A variation of it will get you close, maybe but not there. And it's important that we understand that. And the God of this age, who is who? Who is the God of this world? Satan. The God of this world, he, he dwells in the area of partial truth. We're told in, in John chapter 8, verse 44, in the second part of that scripture, he says that he, being Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But if you go back a little bit earlier in that verse, it says that he was not holding to the truth. So at one point in time, Satan knew the truth. At one point in time, he knew what was true, but he chose not to hold to the truth. See, what's really important is that we understand that there is partial truths in lies. And that's the problem. Because the partial truth can sound so good. It can sound so inviting. 
that if it doesn't stay with the truth, if it becomes a variation of the truth or a modification of the truth, at some point in time it stops being truth. And that's the problem. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, in the contemporary English version scripture, or, or version that says this about truth and, and about um, the hidden truth. It says, God has been kind enough to trust us with this work. That's why we never give up. We don't do shameful things that must be kept secret. Now, let's stop there for a second. Last week we were talking about the secret times, the secret things. And how important it is that we have our own secret personal devotional life, right? But in the secret things, though, if you're not focused on the truth in the secret things, you can very quickly get off base because there's nobody there to keep you accountable in your secret times. So that's where you must read God's Word in the secret times. Don't allow yourself to take you down the path that you think you should go in the secret times because there's nobody there to keep you accountable. There's nobody there to keep you on the right track unless you're holding to God's Word. It's so important that we don't allow ourselves to get lazy in our secret times. We don't do shameful things that must be kept secret. And let's continue. And we don't try to fool anyone or twist God's message around. God is our witness that we speak only the truth so that others will be sure that we can be trusted. If there is anything hidden about our message, it is hidden only to someone who is lost. Why? Well, because verse 4 tells us that God who rules this world, who is Satan, the God of this world, who rules this world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They cannot see the light, which is the good news about our glorious Christ who shows what God is like. God's word says the Holy Spirit draws men. The Holy Spirit will reveal the truth in men's hearts so that Satan cannot continue to pull the wool over men's eyes. That's why we keep praying like we talked about earlier today. That's why we keep praying for our family members. That's why we keep praying for our children and those that are lost, our family and our friends, because we're praying the Holy Spirit will have the ability to remove the blinders that Satan has put on the eyes of our loved ones. Amen? And that's not an issue of us right and them wrong. It's an issue of all of us following the truth of God's Word. That we're not making up our own version. That we're not settling on a lazy, lazy man's version of Christianity. No, we're digging into the Word of God and we're going to follow the truth of God's Word even if it's hard. Because sometimes truth is hard. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes you have to make a decision. Am I going to follow truth or not? Especially in the secret times. Especially in the times when you're all by yourself. Satan is the great deceiver, and he brings us versions of truth that fall short from the glory of God. He start, he's, he's proven that. And, he's, and he doesn't. And that's his major strategy is that he doesn't necessarily want you to not believe in God. But he wants to control the version of the God that you believe in. And he will do that through deceptive and hollow philosophies. Many false teachings are based upon partial truths. When I looked up the Greek word for truth, it's defined as truthfulness corresponding to reality. Not relativity, 
reality. There's a difference between being relative and being real. All right? God's truth is based on reality, not relativity. That one little V <laughs> makes a huge difference in what those two words mean. Because God's reality says, whether you believe it or not, Jesus is coming back. Whether you believe it or not, you will stand before God someday and give an account of your life. Whether you believe it or not, the reality is the truth of God's word. It has nothing to do with relativity. Relativity is only something in this age that the God of this age makes up to give us a partial level of truthfulness that makes it sound so good that why doesn't everybody just accept this version of truthfulness? And unfortunately, many people are. Many people are settling for just enough of the truth to make them feel good. But they don't dig in to the solid truth that we stand on, which is a foundation of the Word of God. And that's where, that's where the devil loves it. That's where he shines. That's where he does his best in the subtleness of untruthfulness. I read this at the beginning of service that we talked about God is truth. And the reality of God's truth means that we must worship him in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. Yet a time is coming and, not, and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now wait, why does the word true have to be there? If there's true worshipers, are there also untrue worshipers? Why doesn't it just say when the worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth? Because even then, even at the writing of the scripture, false religions were already coming in and they were worshipers, people very devoted to their faith, very devoted to the bales of the world, very devoted to things that were just plainly wrong, but they weren't, weren't worshiping the truth of God's word. So that's why it's important that this scripture says and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Not false truths, not something close enough, not something that's good enough. It has got to be the truth of God's word. And maybe that's why some churches aren't full today. Maybe some churches don't. Maybe a lot of people are coming in and they want to hear a version that gives them a good, warm, fuzzy feeling. In fact, the Bible says that. The Bible does say in the end day there will be those times, there will be those people that will be going to churches to hear what they want the pastors and the teachers to tell them that will satisfy the longing of their heart for their itchy ears. They don't want the full truth. They want the version of the truth. And so our job is to... Um, be steady. Our job is to be, uh, is to do the hard work, to dig in, and not allow ourselves to be pushed around by the by the enemy that would want to come. In John chapter eight, verses thirty-one and thirty-two, we know that we know the Christians by the fact that they obey God's word. It says that, that a time to the Jews who had believed in Him, Jesus said this: If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth sets us free. Not my own thoughts, not my own philosophies, not the things that make me happy, but God's word in the truthfulness of God's word, even in the difficulty of it, even in the choices that I have to make that may be unpopular, they set me free. And that's awesome. 
That's where I want to be. But let me ask the question, at what point in time does stretching the truth become an untruth? Can it be? At what point in time can we stretch the truth enough, put our spin on the truth enough, put our embellishment on the truth to the point that it becomes an untruth? See, once we begin the road, once we're on the road of untruth, how do we come back? How do you put yourself back on the foundation of truth when you're down the slippery path of untruth? I don't know about you, but you've probably walked down a stream at some point in time out in the woods or walking around, and you, you see a stone that's wet, and you think you could step on that stone to maybe jump across the river, little crick, but you have no idea how slippery that stone is. You have no idea if that stone might have, that stone might have a, little, a little layer of slime, a little moss layer on it. All of a sudden you slip on that stone that looks solid, and it is solid, but it's covered with enough slippery stuff that you put your foot on it, and it's not a solid footing. How many have tried that and stepped in the water? Or even more funny, fall on your butt. Yeah. I mean, we all have at some point in time thought, that's a solid stone. I'm going to reach out and I'm going to take faith. I'm going to take the leap because probably that stone's just enough out of your reach that you really have to put all your weight on it. And that's a scary thing when you put all your weight on that stone and you feel your foot start to slip and all of a sudden you're out of control and boom, next thing you know, your other foot's in the water or even worse, you're laying on your back. Now, that's, I've been there. I've done that, and it's kind of funny when that's setting. But it's not funny, though, when you think you're stepping out in your life and you're putting your life on that stone that isn't the truth of God's Word. And it's so easy to do it because the devil can be so subtle in his slipperiness of the rock of his truth, and it's so subtle. I have a little PowerPoint I want to show a little today just kind of uh, helps us to, to walk through the area of, um, of God's truth. And, and this will help us, I think, as an example of how we understand God's truthfulness and what is our responsibility to it. When we understand God's truth, we understand that there is one way to the heaven, one way to God. Truth can be a, a straight line. It's, it's when we're devoted to truth, truth is a straight line, and it's a narrow line. All right. Now, here, here comes a point in time in your life where you have a point of decision. Maybe you've said something. Maybe you've done something. Maybe you've um, told a story. Maybe you've created an action that you've been either found out on, somebody's called you out on it, or you have an opportunity to go down truth, there's a moment of decision here where you can make a very, very important decision. If you make the wrong decision, very quickly you're down a path of untruth. And that is just a split second. It's that choice to make when I'm telling that story or, I, or I've been confronted with something, do I tell the truth? Or do I tell the untruth? Do I stretch the story to make it more embellishing, to make it sound better? Or do I stay with the facts? 
All right. Now, once you make the decision and you're down that road of untruthfulness, this is where the problem becomes. Because this is where you become bound to sin. Because once you're on that road, once you're on that slope downward of untruth, you have to keep telling the same lie over and over and over again. Otherwise, you're found out as a liar. And so now the bondage of sin happens because you've allowed yourself to tell your lie, and now you have to keep saying the same lie. In fact, I was told one time, well, many times by my dad, if you're going to be a liar, you have to have a good memory. Because you've got, to keep, you've got to keep telling the same lie. Because if you tell a different version of that story, then you're going to be found out. That's bondage. That's bondage to sin. And what, what's the future for liars? Hell. The Bible comes up and it says that. It says in Revelation 21, verse 8, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic's magic arts, the idolaters. See, those are all really bad people. Okay? We, on one of the Wednesday night sessions, I love the speaker that says he likes lists. Remember that? He throws all those really bad things in a list, and then all of a sudden, and if you continue reading that verse, along with idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So if you're a liar... Understand where your future is. Understand where you're going. Understand that's your destination. And that's where the enemy wants to take you. No matter what you do, this is the key point. No matter what you do, once you're down that road, there's no way to get to heaven once you're down that road unless you do a pretty important thing because Satan is there to, to work. And remember, we talked about his strategy was to be a deceiver. His strategy is to use partial truths. And he did it at the very beginning, didn't he? He did it with Adam and Eve. He said, did God really say? Did God really say that? Yeah, God said it. But what does that really mean? And so he took the truth of God and he twisted it around to make it something. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that there's no other way to me besides going, no other way to the Father besides coming through Jesus or coming through me. So no amount of good works will lead us to heaven unless we do one thing. And this is what, I like what C.S. Lewis says about this, this next step. C.S. Lewis says this. He says that in, a book, uh, in his book, Mere Christianity, he says, We all want progress, but progress means getting nearer to the place where you want to be. And if you've taken a wrong turning, then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you are on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man. There's nothing progressive about being pig-headed and refusing to admit a mistake. <laughs> I love C.S. Lewis. I love the way he comes right at it. So if you go to the next slide, Larry, so here we are. We're, we're, we're right back here at this point of, of there's no return. We, we're not going to get to heaven from hell down at that point where we see the black hash mark. Here what, what C.S. Lewis described was repentance. The only way I'm going to get to heaven now is I've got to backtrack. I've got to repent. I've got to go backwards to the point of my indecision. I've got to go back to the point where I made that, where I made that lie. And I've got to go back and make that right. I can't just go from my point of discretion 
and say, okay, well, I'm going to just persist in this, this wrong road, and I'm going to be so devoted now that I'm going to get to heaven from there. No, you're not. The only way you're going to get to heaven is you repent. You say you're sorry. You go backwards. And what's significant about this line, I wish I had my pointer. Well, let me go up here. What's so significant about this is that, see, I've got to go back here, and I've got to go back to the point here because there's a lot of work to do to repent. Repenting is not easy. Saying I'm sorry is easy. But the process of repenting takes work. There's a difference between saying I'm sorry and repenting. Because when somebody says I'm sorry, how do you know what they're sorry for? There's a worldly sorrow and there's a heavenly sorrow. A worldly sorrow is I'm sorry I got caught. A a heavenly sorrow is I'm sorry I did the action. And there's always consequences with the actions. Now, there's a process of repentance. And I have five steps here. And I'm not going to get into these steps. I'm going to tell, them what, to tell you what they are. We may come back to this someday and do a whole other sermon on repentance. But, but the process of repentance is this. First of all, number one, you must have grief over sin. You must have true sorrow for the sin, not sorry that I got caught type of sin. Michael told us that today in his testimony. He was regretting the things that he had done. That is repentance. He's sorry for the things that he lived his life like. That's repentance. Not sorry he got caught. He didn't get caught that I know of. He just saw that he was going down the wrong path and he repented. And he willfully came back beyond the decision point and he said, I'm sorry for the things that I've done. That's godly grief and godly sorrow. And that leads to repentance. That's the first step in this process of five steps. Number, then the second thing is there has to be a repulsion toward the sin. You have to get to the point in your life where, where that sin has caused so much grief to you that it becomes repulsive to you. That you can't even, you, you are embarrassed to even think that you did that. You're embarrassed to even think you said that. You're embarrassed to even think about it. It's not a covering it over. It's not just sweeping it under the covers of, or the, under the rug and moving on. It is getting to the point where it's repulsive. And you're not intrigued by it so that every time you think of it that you want to go back and dwell on it some more because you get, you get jollies over thinking about it. Instead of, instead of lingering over it because it makes you enticing you, it makes you sick. That's the second step to getting repulsion. And then there's number three, the restitution towards others. Recognition that my sin not just impacted myself, but it also impacted other people. And there are some things I must do to restore other people. I have to make restitution. Now, there are some things that you just can't make complete restitution on. There are some things, and this is a problem. Some sins are harder to repent over than others. Some sins have eternal consequences. Well, I'll tell you one, and, and you can think of many, probably many other. Uh, but, but, you know, and this is where God can take the bad things and make good out of it. But the fact of the matter is the sin itself made something. Abortion. A great example. Here you have a willful abortion, and yeah, you think maybe you've gotten yourself out of the problem because now you've aborted the baby. But you talk to mothers that have been aborted and the guilt and the shame that comes with that, that they never can unchange that. Now thank God God's grace can come and be sufficient. Thank God that he can come and heal a mother's wounded heart. Thank goodness for that. 
but you're never going to do you're never going to completely unchange it right many other sins that are like that okay so then we have restitution to the best that you can understanding that the consequences of sin lingers do what you can to to make it better for people now number 4 revival toward god revival toward god see once the discipline is done then there's a true desire to get closer to god because he's restoring a new life in you when you discipline or chastise a child this, this, the spanking is not the discipline. The spanking is the attention getter. And then you sit down and talk and reason with the child after you got their attention. That's where then that child will have a, re, a restored relationship with the father. Because then they'll have an understanding and say, oh, I, now I know I'm sorry. And then we'll have a, as we then repent godly, we will have a continued, or we will have a new revival towards God that we'll now have a new level of righteous fear that is really a deep love restored in our hearts and lives. Then finally, the fifth thing is, is that we, have a, we, we move forward and stop looking backwards. This is where life can continue on. And now I've, I've, I've had grief over my sorrow. I'm repulsed by the sin. I've done whatever I can to restore other people. I have a new revival towards God, and now I say I am a new creation. And the old man is gone. And now I, I focus on Jesus, and I move forward, never to go back and dwell on that again, never to let the devil bring me back, never to let, let the skeletons come out of the closet later on to haunt me again, because I've properly repented, I've properly gone through the process of repenting, and now I move forward. We'll spend more time on that another time. But that's basically the process of repentance. But a common mistake that we all have as we're tempted in sin is that we will take sin in our life and we will rename it. We will take that, that area of sin or that area that is wrong and rather than recognizing it as sin, we will give it a pet name. We will give it a, a more comfortable name. Things like, well, I don't really have a temper problem. I'm just Irish, and that's just the way I was made, okay? No, here's the problem. You have a temper problem. It doesn't make any difference if you're Irish or, or African or whatever national, nationality you have. If you have a temper problem, you have a temper problem. Now, another one is I'm not stubborn and unwilling to change. I'm just a person that knows how to make a decision. Well, stubbornness, bullheadedness, over ego, that's a sin. It's not just an issue of you making a decision. A lot of people can make decisions. Or I don't have a problem telling lies. I just like my stories a little bit more interesting. Or I'm not selfish. I just know how to take care of number one. Or I don't really have a problem with my time management when it comes to praying and reading my Bible. I'm just ADHD. I just, I just can't. I just don't have the time. I'm too busy or I can't. You know, those are areas, and understand that sin, guys, here's the other thing. Sin is not always something that you commit. Sin can be as much of an omission as a commission. Sin is anything that is displeasing God. Any area that brings separation between you and God is sin. Not just the big black things called lying, stealing, cheating, adultery, fornication, drunkenness. What about when I don't do what I'm supposed to do? That's as much of a sin as doing what I shouldn't have done. I don't read my Bible because I don't like to read books. I'm just not a reader. Then how in the world are you going to know God's truth? 
tell me, if you're not into God's word, how are you going to know it? Are you going to pick enough up on Sunday mornings? Is this it? Is this where, are you going to pick up enough of God's truth by the 30, 40 minutes that a preacher speaks that that's what you're going to base your life on? See, that is getting very close to living in untruths. Because I can speak all the same words. I can speak it correctly, but I don't know how you're hearing it. See, you have to go in and study. You have to go read the word for yourself. You go through the Bible studies. You get in and get in and understand what the scriptures say so that the truth, so that the Holy Spirit will reveal the truth to you as the Bible is, is, is saying it. Not that I'm speaking it and you think, well, I'll remember what he says. I'll remember what that preacher says or that teacher says. That is getting yourself, that's getting yourself in a real close area of promoting untruth. Because you can get just enough of the truth that you heard, but not really grasp the real principle of God's word. So you've got to study it. You've got to study it. So here we are. We're, we're back in our life plan, and, and I do know that we're not going to be perfect, right? So we are going to have areas in our life that are going to be, uh, we're going to lie, we're going to cheat, we're going to steal, we're going to have those things. The key is, is how do you deal with it the next time? Here's the, here's the biggest thing that we can do. And that is that every time you see it, do you see the difference between that last slide? Well, you can stay here. This is fine. Uh, whatever. See that the, it's the time. It's, 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 the duration, it's the duration of the untruth, right? Before, I, I got way down to here before I decided to repent. If, I've got, if I'm waiting to down here, I've got a lot of hard work to do to repent. Basically, what I'm better off doing and what you're better off doing, as soon as I know I've hit a decision point of truth or untruth, stop. Go back. The sooner you go back, as C.S. Lewis said, the sooner you go back, the sooner you can make progress. There's no progress in a pig-headed, bull-headed person that doesn't admit a mistake. So our life really should be a life of in, in reality, our life should be a life of truth. Okay, that's what the Bible says about entrance to the narrow gate. For wide is the road and broad is the road to destruction. Many find that. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find that. See, I didn't draw this because I didn't know how to make this a skinny arrow. I made that a fat arrow on purpose. And I made the skinny arrow of truth on purpose because that's what God's Word says. God's Word says that the, the road to truth is small and narrow, and only a few find that road. But the road to destruction is wide and broad, and many find that road. See, it's easy to live a life. I shouldn't say it's easy because it will find you out. Your untruth will find you out, and it will not be easy. It may seem easy at the beginning. It may seem easier to tell the lie and then still live in the lie. It, and this is where the difficult part comes in telling the truth. Because when you recognize that you're in a spot where you've done something wrong, that's where the hard part of living comes in because it's easier. You're tempted. I know because I'm there with you. I do the same thing in my life. I'm more tempted to let it slide and just go on, and maybe they'll forget about it. <laughs> maybe I will never have to deal with it. But it's better off to recognize at that moment of when I have that indiscretion, it's better off to stop, 
recognize that I did wrong, repent quickly so I don't have to go back so far, get my life back on the road of truth, and then stay in that narrow road of truth. Can you think of applications in your life where that would make a difference? Can you think in some of the areas in your life where you could say, boy, I wish I would have. I wish I wouldn't have gone so far down that, on that road of untruth. I wish I wouldn't have gone down that far. I wish I could have done it quicker and sooner. And in all reality, that's the life that we live, folks. We're not going to live a life of perfection. You're not going to live a life without sin. Neither am I. So my life is going to be a bunch of blips down this road of truth, but I want to make sure that I have every arrow of repentance going back on truth. I don't want to ever stay bullheaded and pigheaded and never able to admit my mistake and not get on that road of truth that leads to heaven because there's freedom on that road. That narrow road of truth is freedom. Now, we, know, we haven't even talked about devotion, but let me tell you real quick what devotion is. But devotion is this, Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. What more can you say? What more can you do but to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength? That's pretty much all of it. I don't see, I've never seen any scripture, and I've tried to find scriptures to, to try to refute this, but I've never found any scripture in God's word that says God is happy with half effort. He's happy with just good enough. Now, that's not perfection. What God is really wanting is the desire of the heart. As long as my heart is aiming towards perfection, my aim is towards perfection, what I do is not perfection. What I do is I stumble along life, but my, my target, my aiming, my, the, the target that we used to have up here, my, my direction is always upward. Along the way, I may slip and may fall down. It's not how many times I fall down, it's how many times I get up. And understand that the Lord will dust you off and he'll reverse you and he'll help you repent, he'll help you do that. Just don't repent and just don't struggle on the same sin. If you need help getting off of a sin, then get help. If you have an addiction, if you have, a, if you have an addiction to pornography or addiction to, to a drug or a, a whatever, don't just stay there and think, well, I'm just going to work it through myself. If you need help, get help. There's lots of people that would love to help you in that area of your sin. Because you know why they would love to help you? Because they struggle in maybe not the same one, but they have their own sins that they struggle in, that I struggle in, and we need to help each other. That's what church is about. That's what a good community is about, that we trust each other, we love each other, we understand that we each have issues. I have my fallings, you have your fallings. Let's be honest together. The Bible says confess your sins one to another and then pray. And then the Lord will heal the sick. Be honest, be real, be committed. As we conclude, I, the, the, the area of devotion reminded me of this little story I heard one time talks about the difference between commitment and um, involvement. It said, one afternoon a chicken and a pig were taking a walk. They came to a restaurant which advertised bacon and eggs. And when the pig saw the sign, he began to cry. Don't cry, little pig, said the chicken. It isn't that bad. And the, and the pig cheerfully replied, no, it isn't for you because you make a contribution while I make a sacrifice. 
See the difference between commitment and involvement? And I know it's a funny little story, but the difference between involvement and commitment is, is as simple as the bacon and egg story because the chicken is involved, the pig is committed. As we come into the Christmas season, understand the difference But what Jesus was. Was Jesus, let me ask you the question and hear this right. Was Jesus a chicken or a pig? Jesus committed himself. He didn't come down just to get involved in our little circle of life. He came down and committed himself and he became the sacrifice, just like that pig becomes the bacon. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that he, put the, he, he laid out the table of our forgiveness because he committed his life. Devotion to truth. Be, be devoted be to the point that you're committing yourself, not just getting involved with truth. If you want to know Jesus and ultimately make him known, then we have to get to the point that we are committed to the truth, that we're willing to sacrifice our life for the truth. It means you're going to be unpopular. It means you're not going to be the most likable guy or the likable girl. It doesn't mean you're, you're not going to be the, 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 class, the, the class joker. But let me tell you what you are going to be. You're going to be free. You're going to have true happiness. You're going to have true joy because you don't have to worry about the guilt that comes along with untruth because guilt is the one, one of the major consequences of untruth is guilt. But when I can have truth in my life and I can let truth reign in my life and I can be free from the guilt of sin, wow, that is amazing. That's what the gift of Jesus is all about. Chris has up on here the gift of the gift goes on. The gift goes on of Christ's forgiveness over and over and over because I continue to live in truth. So this morning, as we get ready to close and go to our homes, where are you this morning? Because, you know, we talked about Jesus being the full commitment. Let me read something again. This is truth. Okay, accept the truth for what it says. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 20 through 26. It says this, Then Jesus said to them, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very life? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. How committed am I? How committed am I to God's truth? Do I understand how important it is that Jesus does not want compromise in my life? That he will not accept compromise in my life. There is no compromising with the devil to know Jesus. There is no compromising with the devil. If I aim at perfection, I know I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to have a heart of repentance. I'm going to have a heart of, of contriteness. I'm going to have a heart of repulsion towards my sin. I'm going to have a heart that wants to follow Jesus and wants to get to know him. And when he sees my heart... He will help me more and more in that area. If he sees my heart to be a contributor or just to be involved but not committed, what, what are we really asking for? 
Jesus came to, to, to commit himself, and that's what he's asking from us this morning. Are you committed? Am I committed? Boy, it's so important that we honestly recognize that any form of partial truth is a lie. Any form of partial truth is deception. Any form of partial truth is a sin. And that will keep us from living powerfully in this life and will keep us from eternal life. Amen. Would you close your eyes with me? Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you for truth. Because when we stand on the truth, Lord, it's not a slippery stone. It's a dry stone. It is a solid rock. And it is something that I can base my entire life on. I can build my house on the rock. I can build my family on the rock. I can put my job on the rock. I can put my career on the rock. I can base all my life on the rock of your truth. And I do not have to worry about ever falling off. I don't have to worry about the storms that would come that would want to blow and would want to destroy and want to tear my house down because I'm building my rock on the solid foundation of God's truth. So, Lord, as we sit here this morning and as we look back at our life, Lord, we all recognize it, myself included, the times that I've not done that. And I'm sorry, Jesus. I repent in my heart now. And, and for those areas that I need to go back, Lord, help me to go back. Help me to retrace my steps. Help me to go back and apologize. and Help me to make right where I can make right. Help me to depend on your power, Holy Spirit, to lead me. Not self-righteousness, but dependence on the Holy Spirit to lead me and to give me the power and to make me into the man of God that you want me to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help me to make this type of a commitment Help me to examine my life every day. Lord, help me to, to ask you to examine my heart, Father. To test me, God, to test my heart. Lord Jesus, to see if there's anything wicked or any offensive way in me, God. And then lead me into the path of righteousness, I pray. Amen. So as we go home this evening, or today, I just as we go into the next few weeks of Christmas... I just want to really encourage all of us just to really evaluate our heart, evaluate where your heart is, evaluate what your purpose is. When we have family get-togethers and family time and you are with your friends and it's your coworkers, wherever you're at, don't be afraid of the truth. Don't be afraid of standing up for the gospel truth and love people. Love people through the process. Amen. Father, we just ask you to go with us now as we go to our homes. I pray that you would just minister to us. Deal with us, Father. Help us to acknowledge the truth as difficult as it may be. Help us to know that that is the process of getting to know Jesus through the truth of God's word. We ask this in Jesus' name.